Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. My pappy said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. What I thought this was a NASCAR podcast. We looked all up and down Formula One after an exciting race this past Sunday with superfan George Clark. Then we talk about the exciting finish and the fan experience at Petit Le Mans, plus more on NHRA and the next-gen NASCAR race car. This is Five to Go. They arrested me and they put me in jail and they called my pappy to throw my bail. He said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that. Hot Rod Lincoln. Shock full, jam-packed, doesn't matter that it's the Cup Series offseason. We are here and we're ready to race. So the 5 to Go Racing Podcast, episode number 157, right here on WSBRadio.com and GoPRN.com. And hey, just because it's the offseason doesn't mean we trim down, boy. We, no, we stack up. We stock up. And so we got a, a couple of awesome guest analysts in with us here today. Eric Von Hessler, normal co-host, not able to make it happen. He's got a lot of stuff going on this pre-Thanksgiving week, but he passes along his regards. And I'm sure he was amped up after the Formula One race on Sunday. And we're going to talk a lot about that with our guest analyst, George Clark, in just a moment. But joining us first from the mountains in Dawsonville there, working on transmissions, making things go fast, and keeping it that uh, moonshine jar and more than arms linked away during working hours. Dan Elliott, how you doing, sir? Doing great, and uh, hope everybody's having a great week so far. See, he pled the fifth on the moonshine jar part. I said it arm's length or more yep. away, okay, just to be clear. <laughs> All right. right, now we are having a great week here. And so I mentioned George Clark. Before we get to you, Bud Hughes, I want to in- introduce everybody to George Clark. For anybody that's in the WSB world that listens to this podcast, 5 to Go Racing Podcast, uh, George, you've heard him do a little bit of traffic with us. He started with us a couple of uh, months ago. He has been involved on the Power Pod, hosted by Jared Yamamoto and his crew that is an extension of the Von Hessler doctrine so this is as close we get to filling in for Eric Von Hessler as we dig into the George Clark box here and George the reason you're on here today is because of the hat that I see you wearing right now we were having a meeting about your traffic stuff and got to go into some development things and then I see a Pirelli hat I'm like wait before we leave you're like chattering cold in the parking deck you're sick of hearing me talk you've had it and you go and I'm like what's the Pirelli hat are you into racing and, and what are you into, George? Because that's why you're here. Yeah, so over COVID, I got really into the F1 series. And um, I've been following the last few seasons. And this past weekend was quite a thrill. So I'm uh, here to talk about that with you. Uh, and we're glad to have you on that. And uh, I want to introduce Bud Hughes from, among many things, uh, being a longtime instructor at Lanier Technical Institute to uh, hosting Bud's Garage at WDUN AM 550 in Gainesville each each Saturday afternoon. But it's great to have you on, and the reason, one reason, there's always a good reason to have you on, a couple of things. Number one, you and I were at Petit Le Mans this past weekend at Road Atlanta. I want to talk about that. And then you have some good insight into the next-gen car and and what's going on, the ripples in the industry behind that. So how are you doing today, bud? Doing wonderful. Happy to be here. We're glad to have you. But Bud is literally, by the way, broadcasting from the man cave in his garage, just to be clear. When he says Bud's garage, <laughs> he means Bud's garage. That's not an imagery thing at all. So before we jump in, we got NASCAR news to talk about, the new name and the new roles for Brad Keselowski at Roush Fenway. 
Racing, by the way, called Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing now. Uh, we, we got uh, crew chief news to talk about at 2311 Racing and at Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing. We've got uh, several things to mention for the offseason, including the next-gen changes. But I want to start with Formula One. We haven't gotten to talk about it much in the last couple of weeks. My interest is similar to George. I didn't get into Formula One because of the Drive to Survive series. That just got that just got me even more into the drama. I was into it a little before, but that really stepped it up. So, George, before we talk about what happened in Brazil between the two title front runners, Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen, you said that it's been the last few years, and then especially during COVID. So, what took you know George from Metro Atlanta, who I had no idea like motorsports until you, until the day before today, yesterday? What took you getting into Formula One? Um, I mean, me and a couple of buddies, we just wanted, you know, needed something to talk about. We we're twiddling our thumbs as we were off of work during COVID. And uh, we kind of start like kicked around the idea of starting to watch some races. Is it, you know, it's just kind of a cool sport, like high end, you know, international, something interesting about it. And we started watching it and it was kind of more of my friend's idea. And he's kind of fell off and not so much into it, kind of tunes into the <laughs> Netflix series. But I'm there every week. Um, even if I'm working the board up, I turn ESPN two on and uh, get get the racing going. That's awesome. And so you so you watch it every single week, and then because you weren't that, the, some of the weird shifts on the board on the weekend, you're actually up and not having to set alarms for this. Yes, yes, yes. No, I'm uh, up in the board uh, running uh, West Moss quite often while I'm watching uh, the F1 on the television screen. Well, West Moss, is, um, his show Money Matters, by the way, airs from 9 to 11 a.m. on Sundays on 95.5 WSB. So that's uh, that's a good that's a good uh, whiskey to have chased down with some NASCAR later on, by the way, if you're if you're into the motorsports and finance thing, those two tend to intersect. OK, so Formula One for you, uh, I want you first before we get into this past Sunday's race. And, and I want Bud and Dan, you guys to chime in, too. I know, Bud, you follow a little bit of F1. Uh, let's talk about this season overall. All right, because there's been the silly season stuff. It's a driver rotation and rumors about that. And then there's just been this bubbling tension between Mercedes and Red Bull that was already there. And it seems like this year it's hit, pun intended, a new gear. So what what is your kind of umbrella take of this season as we get into the dog days of the F1 schedule? Yeah, just it's been a you know raw, close battle between the two leaders, Hamilton and Verstappen. Um, we've seen uh, McLaren kind of lead Ferrari at the beginning. Now Ferrari's kind of making a late comeback, beating McLaren. And then uh, we're seeing kind of that back of the pack fight it out every week. Williams getting some uh, points on the board finally. Um, And uh, it seems like we've got the uh, driver um, for the next season. We've got the drivers sorted after, uh, after yesterday. Um, I know that um, Giovinazzi won't be coming back. They've actually got, I think a a, a new driver coming in. um, So on uh, Alfa Romeo um, along with Botas, which will be off of Mercedes and replaced with um, George uh, Russell, George Russell uh, from Williams. Well, right, and that's the, that's a big thing. So let's, yeah. So, uh, and I want to make sure it's Guanu Zhu, and, and I'm reading that because I haven't heard the name said. Uh, but Guanyu Zhu, and that, I'm saying that phonetically. So if I got it wrong, I'm sorry. It's, <laughs> but that, but he's the driver that's replacing Antonio Giovinazzi, the Italian driver, Giovinazzi, the Italian driver at Alfa Romeo, and then of course uh, with Kimi Raikkonen retiring. Retiring, by the way, illustrious. A de- two-decade career for Kimi Raikkonen, the 2007 world champ, who dabbled a little bit in NASCAR. We cannot forget, uh, but uh, but uh, with uh, Raikkonen retiring, that opened the door for Botas to make the switch. Of course, the, that that move happened because Mercedes is like, all right, you've had a few seasons, Botas, great, yeah, didn't didn't win a lot, and George Russell, who is 
on loan essentially for Mercedes over to the Williams team now moves up. And then Alex Albon, who got pushed out at Red Bull Racing to bring over Sergio Perez, Albon, who got brought over midseason for Pierre Gasly a couple of years ago, didn't work out. The British and Thai driver is now going to get a chance in the Williams seat with Nicholas Latifi returning as his wingman over there at Team Williams. And I'd be interested, you know, with Alex Albon, if we'll see really what the driver's made of there, considering how different a Williams is versus a Red Bull. So so the, the silly season stuff is settled. We, there was talk even late last year, would Lewis Hamilton come back? And he missed that one race with COVID, and there was sort of this talk about his contract, but there hadn't been any talk about that this year. But, but he has, he and Mercedes out of the gate, George, have looked slightly vincible because Red Bull, especially in the first half of the year, just came out with this mad speed. And the first race of the year, though, Hamilton took that Mercedes, put it on his back, and won a race versus Verstappen. But a lot of times, Verstappen, when it's come down to raw speed and not pit strategy and not slamming each other off the track, it's been Verstappen on top. So bring us to Sunday now, because this seemed to a lot of people to be a statement race. Yeah, so Sunday, um, I mean, the weekend started off, um, Hamilton got the new engine, so he went into the weekend knowing that he would have a five-place grid penalty, um, Got uh, participated in qualifying, but due to DRS issues, that wing on the back being a little wider than it should be, he um, he was disqualified from that, started last in the sprint race, and uh, during that sprint race, went from 20th to 5th with that grid that five place grid penalty, that meant uh, a 10th place start for Hamilton. And then we saw that uh, rip roaring drive to get past Verstappen and, and end up in first. Uh, so, and okay. And where, and where, so let's talk about the wing thing before we get to more putting your car in your back talk. All right. Uh, and, and this is something, this actually, I got the push alert on this from the F1 app while I was sitting next to Bud Hughes in turn 10 at Petit Le Mans, Road Atlanta. And, and I, all I saw, and I didn't know anything about the controversy. I don't follow every detail of Formula One like I do NASCAR, but I saw that Max Verstappen fined 50,000 euros for inspecting Lewis Hamilton's wing during Park Ferme or when they're not allowed to touch the cars, basically, right? And what it was is this kind of mudslinging or this accusation finger pointing going on between the Silver Arrow and the Red Bull team, between Mercedes and Red Bull, about Lewis Hamilton's wing uh, DRS, the drag reduction system, where it opens up, right, where the vents or the slits in the wing open up, they were opening up too much, and Verstappen actually went over to inspect it, which is uh, a driver inspecting that. Interesting. Okay, so he gets fined. Mercedes get, get has scrutiny put upon it, and then was there any penalty for the wing? Yes, yeah, that that, that is what ultimately got Hamilton disqualified from the um, or from dis, single yeah, disqualified qualifying, from right? qualifying. Yeah. So he started the that's right. So he started the sprint race twentieth, then gained fifteen spots in a short race. Yeah, twenty-seven the, laps, I believe. Twenty-seven, unbelievable. Right? I don't know how that is done. And then and then has to take the five spot hit because he got a new power plant. But now we have the new power plant, and here's where we get to Sunday. So he starts tenth on Sunday. Bring us there, George. New power plant for Mercedes. Hamilton starts 10th and Verstappen starts near the front. Yeah, he started, uh, I believe he got, or he wasn't on pole. Valtteri was on pole. I think Verstappen yeah. was second. Um, and Hamilton way back in 10th, knowing that we're coming to the end of the season. Verstappen's got the lead. We knew we'd see a good drive out of Hamilton, but nobody, I don't think anybody expected this, the quite the drive we did see. That was uh, unbelievable. Um, just absolute. 
balls to the wall uh, driving. <laughs> it, sure, it certainly was here. Here with George Clark, by the way, from the traffic team in 95.5 WSB and from the Von Hessler Doctrine and the Power Pod, uh, several assets on our radio station. And, and before we get to Dan, Dan and to Bud's takes on some of this, Let's let's finish off the story. So Hamilton, I, I only was able to tune into the race for a second, and he had made it up to P two, the second spot. And I'm going, okay, he's you know they make their pit stops. The, Verstappen still comes out ahead, and I'm like, all right. I mean, I know how Formula One goes. Hamilton's going to made up all this ground, but Verstappen's still going to gain points on him. But then the last stage of the race happens. So can you take me through the slug out battle they had and, yeah. and some of the hard racing, and then who ended up on top and, and the feelings and all that. Yeah, so it seems that that power plant might have given him a little bit of a pace advantage, having that brand new engine in there. Um, so, it, you know, it, he did get make it to second. Everybody kind of, like you said, um, maybe thought Verstappen would pull it out. Lewis would uh, get that second spot. But uh, Lewis was on his tail the entire time. And at even uh, at one point in, I believe, turn 11, uh they both went wide, Verstappen kind of pushing Hamilton as he tried to take him on the outside. That um, went was called during the race, no incident, no investigation. But now, just this morning, Mercedes has uh, opted to um, kind of call for a uh, some sort of in- investigation into uh-huh. that so that they might be able to get a penalty on Verstappen, which would put Bottas above Verstappen in second place, giving them more constructor points and uh, constructor cup points as well as uh, taking points from Verstappen for the championship. I didn't realize that. See, again, I, I'm so glad we have you on to follow in the, the, all the X's and O's for Formula One. So, so now this is interesting because, and I, and I, I have trouble differentiating the races and knowing who, what race that happened. But back in the summer, there was there have been at least two instances where Hamilton raced the heck out of Verstappen, and one of them in particular where Verstappen ended up crashing. That, that there was all this controversy. It even became, you know, because of how charged it is, Lewis Hamilton, one of the only black drivers in the world, certainly in F1, and it became racially charged by some fans and the whole bit. Yes. But so do you think this is a little hypocritical or Mercedes now that, Verst- you know, Verstappen and Hamilton have raced so hard to then ask for the same thing they didn't think Hamilton should have gotten before? Yes, but I mean, it is definitely hypocritical. Mercedes uh, made a statement earlier this season that they want to win it on the track. And now we get to this point (laughs) where they're they're calling for an investigation after the race is over, even though their guy won. But, you know, you've got to take every advantage you can get in these kinds of things and you can't really blame them. They want that Constructor Cup uh, money. They want Lewis Hamilton to be the, the champion. Um, so, you know, I can't really blame them, although they are kind of going against their word about winning it on the track, even though they pulled out the win this weekend. And before we let you go, George, I want to draw Bud and Dan into this conversation. All right. I know you guys aren't nearly as enthralled with F1 as, as Eric is or George is or even me. But uh, D- Dan, I want to come to you first, especially thinking about what teams did Back in your team's heyday and the Melling Racing heyday in the 80s and, and on into the 90s of you're bending the rules, you're trying to figure it out, and then you start pointing fingers and you don't want to point it at you. When you look at the at least outwardly hypocrisy from Mercedes and Mercedes also thinking we need to try to get every advantage we could get both with the power plant and with pointing fingers at Max Verstappen. I mean, what? how does that sit with you as a stock car racing fan and insider, Dan? Usually, and and we learned this a long time before we got started, usually you get in, and and George may follow with me on on this, on where I'm going, 
is the fact that you start pointing fingers and you start judging these other teams and <clears throat> getting your sanctioning body involved in, in trying to rule something, whether it's legal or illegal, and, and you get into these peeing contests, I call them, and usually those end up coming back and biting you in the backside, and it sounds to me like that's a lot what happened. And you get so focused on this that you lose sight of, of what you're trying to do and end up end up hurting yourself in the long run. And I honestly think that that's what Verstappen and them may have done over Lewis Hamilton. And also, too, they probably uh, they probably whizzed Hamilton off a little bit. And um, he's, you know, just like in the race, um, there, there's nothing like getting somebody mad that, that can come up and, and really that drive and, and that kind of equipment, you, you get them mad and um, there's no telling what's going to happen. But I think uh -huh. these situations usually end up being that way. And, and that's been my experience over the years, Ty. Turnabout is fair play, right? So Christian Horner, who's had the chip on his shoulder for several years since they won the four titles in a row with Sebastian Vettel back in the mid-2000s. Now it's come to where Lewis Hamilton is, is title, title, title. Nico Rosberg throwing in there. And, and, you know, they've won, what, seven, the last seven titles, I believe it is. And, and suddenly he's he's desperate. Red Bull, ha it, it comes out legitimately faster than Mercedes, but Mercedes stays with them. And now it's pointing fingers, and they're pointing right back. All right, Bud, I want to talk to you before we cut George loose here, and I want to ask George one more question. But, Bud, about the power plant, getting a new engine in the middle of the season and pointing fingers at how much your rear wing is opening. And there, there's something to be said. It's F1 is enthralling and glitzy, but where it gets lost on me, bud, is, oh, my God, the amount of rules and the, the amount of technical things that a fan just can't follow. I get lost in it. So as a gearhead, bud, how does it sit with you? Are there too many rules there, or is it something we should be okay with and just understand there's rules? I don't know. How do you feel as a, as a guy that's really in, t in tune with sport racing, sport car racing? Well, the, I, I think it, it's, it's so highly technical and so much money involved in it and so much money at stake. And one thing that we've got going on nowadays that we didn't have in, in Dan's day, in my days when I was growing up around stock cars and other racing, is not only do you have these controversies going on, but then you get social media involved. Oh, yeah. And, and then it just then it can just blow up from there. And all of a sudden, all the folks on social media are the the experts and it all it all just becomes a big mess. Yeah, let me let me just vouch for that. Not on about Twitter or Facebook or or TikTok or something, but on YouTube. If you go on YouTube, there's all these people that just analyze and analyze and they look at frame by frame. I mean, George, you're nodding your head there. Of this is how this happened. This is why so and so should be penalized. And I don't watch it necessarily. Sometimes I want to get informed because they look at it in a way I'll never bother to sit down and look at. But usually I want to see how people do it or how full of crap they are. And I sort of hate watch it, I guess, in a way. And George, I see you nodding your head. And and it's crazy because I'm like, yeah, okay, this really smart person living in their mom's basement in Liverpool. <laughs> I'm, I, don't, I don't know. I'm just making up a person. I don't have one to think of. Is like got it figured out, but like Toto Wolf doesn't know. So okay, got it. You know, yeah. And so George, I I see you laughing and chuckling there. You, you're a new school fan to racing in general, and, and certainly to Formula One. So what when you 
hear the criticisms about it and you still having the kind of infatuation with the sport, where does it kind of sit with you now? We've laid out the drama. We know that this title is 14 points apart, three races left in the Middle East, most of the racing. So when you look at it as a whole, like, how, do you have a good taste in your mouth about the 2021 season? Yeah, I think this has been a great season. I think that you, we've seen a great battle between two amazing drivers. It's been the closest we've really seen them get. Uh, Verstappen really does seem to have a chance at getting this championship. Obviously, he's leading now. The constructors is even close as well. That kind of, you know, at the beginning of the season, somebody might have thought that Mercedes would definitely get the constructors, but maybe Verstappen would get the uh, the championship. We're now seeing a great battle. And, you know, I the crashes, the drama fuels kind of like an energy and an anger in some of these guys and just gets them revved up for the weekend. You know, I don't mind people getting emotional behind behind the wheel if it's just going to mean that they're going to drive harder, drive faster, give us a better race. And uh, I know what you mean about the YouTube. Um, they didn't release Max Verstappen's um, uh, helmet cam footage from ah. the uh, from the wide turn. So everybody's wondering what's going on there. Is that the new evidence that Mercedes seen that's led them to uh, call for this investigation? So, yeah, there are those kind of armchair uh, announcers and uh, analysts that are uh, digging deep to kind of get into it. But, um, you know, as long as it doesn't, you know, as long as the cheating's revealed, if there is any cheating or um, the bad, you know, poor driving's revealed um, beyond that, uh, you know, if, if, if it's just some bad blood that that just fuels better racing in my mind. Oh, well, I, I think so. I think we can all agree on that. There's a little conflict going on, a little bit of extra chip on shoulder. I think that's big. All right, the last thing for you, George, and I'll let you go because I know Petit Le Mans and NASCAR and IMSA, all that stuff that we, you know, in NHRA, we're going to get into a little later. That That's that's not up your alley. But I want to ask you this. You said you're a new school fan and you got into this, and I think I heard you right as part of this, the the over-the-top engineering, the high-end cars, I think is the word I heard you use. Yes. And see, I really want to get you into NASCAR, okay? And I gotta, I got, I've got to figure out how to do that. So I would okay, love to I hear you. Why you? What is NASCAR? Ha like, why NASCAR and not Formula One? What, what, what is the? What is it? What is it for you guys? I, I think they got to me first for sure. But okay, so let's go to Dan, Dan and Bud here. All right, Dan and Bud have seen NASCAR rise from being truly grassroots and regional to being this explosive world force to now shrinking more to a niche where it's both Hollywood and Huntsville at the same time. All right. You know, so, so I want, I want to say, so what got me into it, I was completely captivated by the drama the same way you are. I didn't care what kind of cars they were. It was, it was relatable drama. The first race I watched was the one where Dale Earnhardt ended up dying in the end. And that race was extremely dramatic before Earnhardt died because Michael Waltrip went 0 for 462 in his career and then won his first race ever as the Daytona 500 driving for Dale Earnhardt. All right. You got me. I mean, and Fox packaged it in a way that just, man, it's, I, I was in freshman in high school. I was in and, and I haven't been able to quit. Look, I mean, we're not, this is not a video podcast, but look behind me, George, it's all around me. All right. Understood. So, okay. So, so Dan and Bud, you know, I, I'm speaking as a new school fan and an old school fan. I'm turned off by some of the things you guys have told me that that push you away about the over technicality or the heavy money. I mean, Dan, when 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 George is saying he's into the high end car and talking on behalf of maybe new school fans, is there one thing you could think of, Dan, that maybe NASCAR could do to court a fan like George better? Off the top of your I head, I know that's a curveball. I honestly think, and, and George, I love F1, and I love Indy, and 
there's all forms of this I like. And the fact that uh, I got into this deal through uh, the NASCAR deal because of the simplicity of it when we first got in, because basically it was stock cars. And yeah, there were things that you could do and you did not have the technical aspect in some degree the the rules the enforcement all the things that went with it and that has come to pass because doug knows as well as anyone how many times i've i've said that nascar is now the n1 and you got f1 and oh, okay and, and all of this this stuff is changing so it's it's coming to you it's, it's a little bit slower because you've got to figure that the the sanctioning body was slow to respond because when you got something working like it did, because at one time it was it was the most impressive thing on the block, growing and blossoming like it did. But but now you've got the the new kids on the block coming in, and and you've got to bring it along to them and and make it exciting for them. And and I think it's going that way. It it's a slow transition, but I think it's coming your way. And and there's a lot of things that's going to come with the Gen 6 car that will make it exciting, I think, for the younger fans. Yeah. And and uh, the older fans are phasing out. The new ones are coming in, and I think it's leaning that way with the glitz, the glamour, and everything else that the other <laughs> series have with them also. And and you got to understand, it, it, it's a show. It, it, it's, it, it is kind of purity of the sport, but also there's a show element that goes with it. So well, for I, sure. I think that's all coming. Yep. No, for sure. I, I think it, did. it was. So in the Gen 7 race car, George, you know, for those listening, not a NASCAR guy, the, you said Gen 6, Dan, that's what's phasing out. The Gen 7 car that's yeah. coming in is a radically different platform from what they've raced now. That the, the old adage of we took a car from the junkyard and did it up into a race car has been gone for decades in NASCAR. That I mean, it happens still in short tracks and, you know, the bomber and cruiser series of short tracks. Okay. But in, in big league, you know, auto racing, that doesn't happen anymore. But it used to be even even uh, uh, not super long ago where uh, teams could race with with a limited budget. And that's not the case anymore. And actually race. I mean, they could they could campaign, but they can't race. The Gen 7 race car is going to have independent rear suspension instead of the single axle. It's going to have transaxle. It's going to have uh, a shifter where instead of the H pattern, it's going to be like you push the gear shift up to go up through the gears. And then... Uh, Yes, I'm sorry. See, yeah, you know what better means. Sequential, totally different steering box. The bottom is going to be flat on the car instead of it having all the pipes, all the everything exposed essentially under the car. And that that's to cut down on. And it's a spec car. They're all buying the pieces from vendors. All right, they're buying them from vendors and then assembling them to the shop. So it's going to lead to a reduction, more than likely. Anyway, we're already seeing, and Bud can attest to this, a reduction in workforce of the sport. But the idea is the car is going to be more malleable and easy to race on road courses. In theory, the teams will be spending less money, although the actual car will cost more. They don't have to employ a bunch of people to build it. Uh, and it may actually resemble more of a race, uh, of a car on the streets than okay. what they do now. But I don't know. To me, Bud, there's not a whole – I mean, I still get to look at it as a race car, not as a – not as a Ford Mustang, you know, I don't, it's not a Ford Mustang. A Ford didn't build it. It was, it's built by vendors and, and Roush Fenway Kozlowski racing. So, uh, Bud, since we're on that topic, can you just describe some of the things you're hearing behind the scenes at NASCAR without naming names about how the teams are already changing 
as we're now in the 2021 offseason? Oh, before I do that, can I throw a question to George? Please. Of course. George, you, you mentioned at the beginning of your intro that, you know, it was a high-end international sport, F1. And and you guys were interested in the technicality of it. Do you do you got do you folks and and the other the other fans that are up at three and four o'clock in the morning watching these races? Do you care who the driver is or what brand the car is, or is it the spectacle that draws you to the sport? I definitely have my favorite drivers. I'm you know more of a Verstappen fan than a Hamilton fan. I kind of ah. chose Lando uh, Norris as my my the you know going into the sport. Okay, who am I going to root for? My mom's from England, Lando, McLaren, all from England. So I kind of chose him that. as uh, my, my first pick and uh, still support him. Um, so I'm definitely have my favorite drivers. Um, not so much the brand, you know, I, um, more more than the drivers. I, I don't really see you care which brand wins, but um, I've definitely picked my favorite drivers and my least favorite drivers for sure. Okay. Um, yep. I was curious about that because it was a discussion we had about the uh, – uh, Petit Le Mans this weekend. We'll, we'll talk about a little bit later. But to your question, Doug, uh, I got a lot of guys that are fabricators on the uh, cup teams. And uh, several of them have already just said, you know, they can't work for what it, what an assembler can work for. You're no longer building the car from a pile of pipes like Dan and the guys used to do, um, you know, after after the junkyard cars went away. Um, and, and they were art. You know, they were they you you could see you know, how everybody massaged it one way or another. And, you know, it's, it's just, uh, that is all going to be gone. I mean, in theory, any of us could sit down, order that cup car and build it in our home shop and assemble it. So in theory, yes. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it it is a kit car, if you will. Yeah. And the the CNCing parts and making everything in house and all that kind of stuff that's gone on, it's all going away. So I, I don't know how it's going to affect the fan base. And and Doug and I talked off the air about uh, some kind of ripple effect that it may have to the industry people that have been supplying these parts to the shops for so long. And the guys that have been hand building this stuff for so long, all of a sudden they're just being tossed to the side. And uh, I, I, yeah. it, it doesn't leave a it doesn't leave a good taste. In, in my mouth personally, because I know people that are personally affected, but I would think that family members and even some fans might be affected by that. Um, you know, your thought on that? Well, I, and so look, I, what, there, there definitely is going to be a shock for sure in the sport. But the thing, and but now when you and I talked about this, I mentioned it. Jimmy Johnson did a, a to me, a tremendously introspective and informative interview with Graham Benzinger, who has a syndicated uh, show that he does. I, I think it's through Fox. I, I'm sorry, I don't know. But he has a syndicated show that airs on TV, but but he also puts all of his interviews chopped up into segments on YouTube. And he does long-form interviews with different sports figures, and he's done several in NASCAR. All of them, Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, are great. Dale Jr., great. The one he did with Jimmy Johnson extremely recently – I'd opened my eyes to a lot of things, and I, I think I put a link to it up in our Five to Go Racing podcast Facebook page. The thing that stuck out to me from all of it was he told, and again, this is the driver. He is not an owner of a team. The driver said to Graham a rough number that teams are making 50% less revenue than they did at the height of the sport in like 2005 or six when Johnson first really rose to superstar status. 
They're making 50% less revenue. Now, that, that could be something he's saying as a political move to leverage something. Who knows, right? I think Johnson's a very honest guy, though. And even if that number's 30%, something's got to give. If you're not selling more sponsors, if you're not going to get more TV money to make up for that, something's got to give. And what's having to give is paying people you know, eighty dollars and $100,000 a year, whatever the number is, to fab cars. You know, that, I mean, that's what's going to have to give is you're going to have less amounts of race cars. Each one's going to be a $600,000 race car instead of a $300,000 car. But you're not paying all these people benefits and pension and and the salary per year. I mean, I, that's to me what's going to change. Did you want to say something, George? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, it, it sounds like this uh, this new kind of uh, generation of car is going to lead to a lot of people losing their jobs. Obviously, you guys are in the industry. So that's uh, something that um, you're, you're thinking a lot about. But are the is the new generation of car going to lead to better racing? Do we do we have some sort of idea on that? That's always the goal, right? And they think, but aerodynamically, one of the things that cars struggle with, and, and Dan, I want you to weigh in too here. One of the things that cars struggle with is the same thing. See, one thing, one reason NASCAR fans, a lot of them, don't understand why in the hail Formula One stands out as like this is because there's like not passing you know formula one it's like oh my god there's a pass you know and nascar there's even though it's not nearly as much as people want there's passing all the time there's passing and rubbing and wrecking and conflict and and it's not over the top most of the time and there's less than we want you know frankly but there's still way more in stock car racing than there is an open wheel race just for the nature of it the new car is supposed to have some aerodynamic pieces, including what's called a diffuser on the back, that help the cars handle better in dirty air, so the dirty okay. air doesn't wedge them apart. And I and I think, in theory, it's supposed to provide better racing. Although if you ask the drivers, and this is a whole loaded thing, I mean, it, you know, there's a varying degree of interest in that. I mean, Dan, is does, am I describing that the right way as a non-mechanic? <laughs> yeah, I think everything is. Um is uh is defined in the way it's being explained and and everybody is throwing something against the wall and 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 i'm saying being in this business there is no guarantee from year to year for anybody on a race team no. whether right. they're going to be there or whether they're not there there is a lot of volatility involved with racing and i honestly think that just because they come in and and redo a lot of the way things are done doesn't necessarily mean that these people will be kicked to the sidewalk and and won't have anything to do. I think you'll have a transition to either other series of motorsports or you'll get into a niche market where maybe you're doing roll cages for drag cars because you you've got a lot of things changing. And, and and when you look at where the electric car is now coming in and and all the possibilities, I, I, I just see that these machines, these people, all this stuff that they've been fabricating over the years is just going to evolve into another series or into another market that you'll see in the next years to come because this may not be visible a lot of people right now but but i see this market really changing i've seen it change for the last decade but i see it more so than ever now oh right it's the specialization and, and what can you take and apply it to something else is big and and the sport is going through a big transformation right now 
I, I got to say, anytime I've seen IndyCar introduce a new car, F1, I mean, va- fans, you got purists and new ones. It's, it's the same kind of fights. They just they, they may have different specificity, but it's the same kind of fight. Is the old was better, the new sucks, over and over. And and we've had a lot of, quote, new sucks lately in NASCAR, but some of the schedule tweaks they're making to get to get the cars on shorter tracks and have more braking and turns. I mean, I'm, I'm saying in the most elementary way possible, George, that – that has helped turn the needle, I think, a little bit. This year has had slightly better numbers than before. But NASCAR did used to get six or seven million people a week watching the races. You're lucky to get three these okay, days, wow. and that that's just straight numbers. That had, you know, the streaming deal doesn't, you know, rotate or doesn't go well into the racing part. So I'm not yeah. sure if you guys are aware, but there's going to be a new car redesign for Formula One as well in 2022, and it's all about that dirty air as well. And, and and that's also supposed to be a budget thing. There's a whole debate. I mean, Mercedes was even talking about, oh, are we going to continue in Formula One because of the spending cap? So, so there. I mean, that, that was before. I think they're continuing now. But I think sometime a year ago, there was speculation that Mercedes would even stay open because they're like, oh, well, if we can't spend what we want on our cars, to hell with it, right? So um, so with the new Formula One car, how much do you know about it? Or, or do you just know what the goal is? I just know that it's it's going to affect the dirty air, get people closer together, more passing. It sounds similar kind of mindset as uh, what's going on in NASCAR, it sounds like. Uh, Eric Von Hessler, when he's on, and you know George from and, and, and Dan and Bud from listening to his show, too. He has a great way of taking a whole issue and, and putting it into one sentence. And he's and he just says, you got to understand, guys, Formula One is a completely different thing. This is a feast of capitalism. This is not, this is not, let's figure it out and make everybody equal. No, no, no. It's all about elitism and it's all about racing purity. It is the goals of the average Formula One fan are just different than NASCAR. It's not better or worse. Like some people like to say it is. We're not just a bunch of idiots that want to see people crash all the time in NASCAR. We just expect confrontation, not punching. I mean, passing. And in Formula One, it's more of a test for elite speed, you know, and in NASCAR, I could care about elite speed. I want to see you pass and win, you know, understood. So I, th- I think that's just a fundamental difference there. Well, George, thanks for joining us today. We're going to delve into more NASCAR and Petit Le Mans. So if you got other things to do, you're welcome. You're welcome to stay. You're welcome to go. But we're glad to have you either way, buddy. Yeah, no, I might have to uh, watch a couple of seasons of NASCAR and hope that I'll get back in here and uh, with us with a good take um, next time. <laughs> for sure, my man. Well, we'll have to schedule that up. Daytona 500, by the way, is something like 95 days away. So I'm, that might be a good time to baptize you in stock car racing. Uh, George Clark from the Von Hessler Doctrine and for the traffic team at 95.5 WSB. Where can we find you on social media before you go? Oh, you know, I'll be around. You can always check out the PowerPod WSB on Instagram, PowerPod Facebook. Um, yeah, and uh, listen on the weekends uh, for some traffic reports on 95.5. Okay, I say your Instagram handle because I love it. You can, yes. Real George Clark never dies. So keep keep in mind if anybody has any designs on assassinating George Clark, remember he never dies. Okay, so <laughs> real George Clark never dies. No, I love it, man. Well, thank you so much, my man, and we're proud of what you do at WSB and thankful you joined us today. Thank you, Doug, and good to meet you, gentlemen. Thanks, Super man. fan George, George Clark. All right, George. Good job. Thank you. Great great to have George on today. We'll chat with him soon. All right, Dan and Bud. So we did a bunch of uh, a bunch of anointing at the F1 altar here, but let's talk a little bit now about uh, before we get to NASCAR and NHRA news, Bud, you and I got to spend some good time at Road Atlanta this weekend. And I want to thank you and uh, President 
at Road Atlanta, uh, Rick Humphrey, who was on the podcast a few weeks ago and had a very informative and good interview with us. And you can check that out. I think it was like just about three or four weeks ago. You can find it in the list of our episodes. But, Bud, what did you think about this weekend? I thank you for driving me around and showing me some different parts. And I, I assume you stayed all the way to the finish. So give me your rundown on the Petit Le Mans this past Saturday at Road Atlanta. It was outstanding. Uh, amazing crowd. Uh, beautiful weather. I I did bow out when it started getting cold, but I'd been there since Uh-oh. Wednesday. So uh, I came home and watched the ending on television, which was absolutely amazing. And uh, the race, the, the biggest deal of the race, if we had stayed, Doug, till 10 o'clock, we would have seen that. We would have been sitting right there where the cars went across each other. If I, if I hadn't had other commitments that included that morning uh, working in the traffic center at WSB Radio at 6 a.m., I think I would have considered trying to stay for the whole time because I do love what goes on there. Uh, it, it goes on in that race, even if it hadn't been that kind of finish. So can you run down exactly uh, how the finish played out there? Well, the finish was was amazing because you had two racers. Uh, Ricky Taylor and I, I can't remember the gentleman that was in front uh, of them. They were not racing for the lead. They were not racing to be number one. They were racing for points at that point in time. And Ricky was a half a half a lap behind or a half a second behind when they got into ten turn ten A and ten B. Uh, there's a dog leg there or uh, there's a left and a right. Let's put it that way. And Ricky just kept going straight. He went he went through the gravel. And I've seen other people in that gravel and and been there when they drag cars out of the gravel. And uh, let me tell you, it slows you down. Uh, it, was, it looked like he was going to pull it off, but uh, the other driver, uh, again, you know, got ahead of him and finished the race ahead of him. Uh, he was not the winning car in that class. No, in that fact, was a battle for we second. Had, yeah. We had a Lanier Technical College student on that car, the, the winning Mazda. So, uh, Name the names for me that were that were fighting yeah. there, Ricky Taylor and uh, right. So so well, first off, the overall winner of the race was Mazda Motorsports. So they were yeah. in first, and they had it won there when this conflict that you mentioned happened. Harry Tinknell, I believe, was the driver actually behind the number 55 when it took the checkered flag there for Mazda Motorsports. But he, Correct. along with co-drivers Oliver Jarvis and Jonathan Bomarito, they won the race as two British drivers in the American Bomarito. And then the two that you're talking about, the two drivers that were behind the wheel during the bonsai move there in turn number 10, Philippe Nasser out of Brazil in the number 31 Whelan Engineering car. And that that's a Cadillac, by the way. And then the Acura from Wayne Taylor Racing of uh, Ricky Taylor that uh, that made the move there and went into the grass and couldn't pull it off. And Philippe Nasser, that was the difference of position that won the Nasser number 31 team with Pippo, Durrani, and Mike Conway as drivers, the championship. And How and about one that? Thing that? One thing that led to that hard driving was when it got dark, the temperatures went down dramatically. And tire temps, mm. as the tires were going on the car, were in the 40s. So Ricky Taylor came out and immediately uh, went off track and put himself 12 or 14 seconds behind uh, NASA. And, and you know, that, that, that was a crazy drive to get to the end of the race uh, because of the cold weather and the cold tires. And that carried really on was throughout there. the race, throughout the race. Oh, and that this was a race that had a very so I I I was at the race for the beginning with you the the large middle section I mean eight hours in the middle let's just say or seven hours in the middle I was not able to watch and then I I caught the very end like the last hour or so and 
And and had a very halting beginning, bud. (laughs) There were not as many laps run in this race as maybe normal because there was a big wreck at the start-finish line there toward the very beginning. And then several other debris drops and shunts, as they try to say. I don't don't like that term, but (laughs) that that happened throughout the day. And that first hour or so, bud, did not have a lot of laps run under green. No, at least from my perspective. I don't watch it every year. So Well, the drivers were having trouble, you know, getting a grasp on their tires because – they had no front grip at all on these cars and the cool temperatures the, the, the wind wasn't a factor but it was keeping the temperatures down and these guys had only gone out and scuffed a few sets of tires so most of the tires they were putting on still had the mold release on them from when they were made and mm. it, it gave the cars no grip at all and the first bad wreck that we saw doug we, we you know we were up on the roof and and uh you know the, the car nearly hit the uh, flag stand that was, that, that was, that was crazy. And it was an extended cleanup because the tire barrier was damaged there at the very beginning. So that, that was, that was a tough deal. Imagine you got to you're gearing up for a 10 hour race. And this was in the LMP two division when the, I, and I think it was uh, Kyle Tilly behind the wheel. I'm, I'm not actually sure. That's the tough thing is that these cars have three drivers, but Kyle Tilly, he ran a little bit of NASCAR this year, but Kyle Tilly, Dwight Merriman, Ryan Dalziel, the, their entry, that is at Era Motorsports, uh, car number 18, the LMP2. They finished 43rd there, and they were done, I think, 20 or 30 minutes into a 10-hour race. And that's tough. We saw it getting loaded up there, and I just felt so bad for these guys. So, Dan, I know you work on a lot of transmissions, a lot of hobbyist racers. Does anybody from IMSA or in that type of racing, does that kind of gear make it over to you? Sometimes it does. I had a uh, had a gentleman that had a Corvette. This has been about... Um, six or seven years ago that broke a gearbox on can't remember if it was Friday or Saturday and he called me out of clear blue and me and my son worked all night long on his gearbox. He put it back in his car the next morning and won his event. Wow. That was, yeah, that was pretty exciting, but we worked all night long, got it done for him. He came up, picked it up, got it back in the car and won his event. So yeah, I see some stuff occasionally from there, but usually these cars are from all over the continental U.S. and they have their people with them or there's usually someone there. But I know in this situation, they needed a, let's see, probably needed two sets of gears that I just happened to have and uh, were, was able to fix this gearbox and, and get it back going. And and the only alternative they had to doing this would have been probably to drive the gearbox to North Carolina and get it fixed and then oh. drive back. So was able to help them, and, and, and I really was proud for them and proud to be able to help, and um, it really does make you feel good when you can help people out, and then they're successful in their endeavors too. Uh, well, that and, and see that help at hand. If you're, if you're drive behind your job, whether it's – uh, fabbing a race car or fixing a transmission or scooping ice cream, it doesn't matter. It's, it's to help other people, then you've got the right North Star. And I know you've got that going on, Dan, for sure, as you've certainly done that for me in the past. So a very cool perspective there from Petit Lamont. So here's the thing for the fan deal. Just like I talked about uh, George Clark, who's on previously, and his new infatuation over the last few years for Formula One, he wanted something to talk about with his buddies. He wasn't naturally a motorsports guy necessarily and he just got into it there was something that drew him in i I was really struck and i'll say this to you bud first and and then get your take dan 
But a, a friend of mine, essentially, he married a girl that I, I was really good friends with in high school. So Dean Landers is there with his son, Judah, and his dad, Mark. And the reason Dean Landers, who doesn't like any sports, who barely knows anything about the Atlanta Braves, even though he's lived in Atlanta almost his whole life, the main reason that Dean came to Petit Le Mans is because he's an engineer. So he's fascinated by just the engineering and the spectacle in front of him. He, he doesn't mind seeing the, the racing and the passing, too. There was a car that spun in front of us. He got all excited there in turn number 10. But it's because his grandfather took his dad to that event every year. His dad took Dean to every event every year. And now Dean takes his son every year. And it's just a tradition. And it's it's the whole event. It is not that there's a 10-hour race and who's in what car in front of him. So, Bud, when I say that to you, is there anything that we could take away from that when we keep picking apart why NASCAR struggles or why other motorsports struggle or any sports struggles? I think I was talking to an engineer this morning that was at the race, uh, an automotive engineer, and uh, I mentioned that to him because we had talked about it. I think it's the, the I think the people see it as an event. I know my son and grandson have been going to that for 23 years, as have I. And uh, it's it's a it's an event. It's uh, I don't know all the drivers. I don't know all the cars, uh, but there is so much to do as it's going on. And you're seeing so much action. And the reason you're seeing so much action is you've got cars that are coming down the back at the back straight at 200 miles an hour. And you've got cars coming down that back straight at 130 miles an hour. And you've got this you've got passing and stuff going on, but it's not necessarily everybody is racing. Uh, their own race and there's five different classes of cars on the track and that is exciting to watch because the the drivers have to anticipate who's coming behind them who's in front of them you know the speeds the the some of the cars can actually gauge what the speed is of a car that's coming up behind them and that gives them some sense of what class that car is in uh, they're doing a lot of things besides just driving the car. And I, I think I think it amazes people to to see all of that going on at one place. And then if you want to take a break from the race for a while, you've got Vendor Village. You've got other perspectives at the track. You can uh, jump in a golf cart and go to its 12 turns. You can, you can move around the track. There's, there's just so much to see and so much to do. And it is mm-hmm. an event. It, it really tr- it truly is. And Dan, I know this isn't your number one discipline, but I, I, I assume, I can't remember if you told me or not, I think you've been to Petit Le Mans before. And uh, have you? And, and what do you know about it, I guess? Yeah, I have been. And, and it's just the absolute sheer numbers of cars of every type, shape, and personality, and the number of people that are there. And these aren't just the average people that you might think you might see at any given event. This is people that could or could not have raced anywhere in the world. And they are, there are so many and so competitive. And this is, yeah, it's, it's a fun weekend, but let me tell you, these people take it very, very dead seriously. They really do. And I think if you so one thing that I've noticed is well, uh, there's two factor factions here. There is the fact that it seems like Gen Z ish is not as into cars. Right. It seems like we've moved away through the millennial generation and now Gen Z for being into cars. But it seems like the people that are are really into it. And this kind of racing really speaks to that because pe- they like either muscle cars or high end kind of sports cars. 
and and there's a lot that you could see at Petit Le Mans and get close to that you can't in a normal environment. And I think I think whether it's just they, they're intrigued by having Pirelli or whatever Michelin branded this or or getting a Lexus that or a BMW that there there's something about it that I think right now they're not as into having a blue oval or a bow tie on it. And that, and there's no, that's no diss on Ford or Chevy. It's just there seems to be more of an appeal stylistically to that kind of car. Am I hitting on Every, something here or am I making that up? Everybody can have a brand to pull for. It, it, it's right, like there's every a bunch brand of known to man as much as even some of the prototypes that you probably wouldn't see anywhere else in the world but here. Or maybe yeah. you might have to go to the West Coast. But you, you've got such a variety of cars, drivers, teams, and and personalities that, that there is something for everyone. Yeah, I think Dan, Dan hit it on the, on the head there because – you you know the Mazdas that are on the track are not anything you're going to see on the street, but you know you you recognize the name Mazda or you recognize the name Viper or Aston Martin and and some yes. of these uh, Porsche Corvette for sure and then a lot of the car clubs you know that people that drive Corvettes or Porsches or Vipers or whatever it may be are there so you have the enthusiasts you know that are really pulling for their brand, but they may not even know who's driving the car but they're pulling for the brand. right. Or and, I want, and I want to yeah. say, yeah, okay, so that that's the part to me. I'm I'm still more into the personality and the driver than I am the car, and that's just my personality, I guess. And it is tough for me at this because I want to know who just made that move, and I want to know who in the heck spun out. I don't care if it was a Lexus that spun out. I want to know who drove it. Who's responsible for that, right? And so, and I mean, and of course, it, the car packages into that as well, but. I, I wish there was a way, like just how they put the placement of the car on those little beacons on the side so you know that they're running ninth in their class. I wish the driver name would jump out somewhere. They would have some changeable message sign, and it would say Johnson behind the wheel. And you don't, because Jimmy Johnson was in this race with, in a car. They finished fourth with Simon Pagano and then uh, Kobayashi behind the wheel, Kamui Kobayashi behind the wheel. I wish I knew who was driving that win, and it was obvious. But and and the program is not always updated. They don't have every single entry. The PA system, you can hear it, and they do a good job. But it's it's hard still to keep up when they're speaking radio talk and talking fast. And then you have all the people there with their cell phones on. It's hard to follow. You saw me, bud. It was hard for me to follow the standings on the IMSA app on my phone because it it took too much cell. So I, w- I wish there is something they could improve on there. And I mean, they as a sport. I'm not talking about Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta per se. But their facility is world class, and especially, Bud, when we got into the tower for a minute and seeing the media center, and they just rebuilt that. I know your son was instrumental in helping put that building together. Um, there's a lot that can be learned there. And one last thing about IMSA and Petit Le Mans before we get to uh, some NHRA and some NASCAR talk, as, as our time is quickly dwindling down, uh, Bud, you mentioned the accessibility at Petit Le Mans. Can you compare and contrast the IMSA paddock versus the NASCAR garage? Uh, the IMSA paddock is wide open except for going over the wall, basically. And they, and they have a driver's autograph session. And the drivers are not the drivers are not um, are not gods. They're just they're just folks. They're just people. They're serious about being there, like Dan said. But they're approachable, you know. And and uh, I I don't know how how NASCAR can take a lesson from that. But one thing that that I said to you is we watched the first lap of that race when we watched the prototypes go by then gt cars 
And I just said to you, well, that could be a cup car going by and that could be an Xfinity car and that could be a truck going uh-huh. by. And you have, you'd have a fantastic formula at this venue to bring a NASCAR event and do the exact same thing. And NASCAR owns it. So I don't, I don't know where the disconnect is there as far as having <laughs> a bunch of cars on the track all at the same time. Hey, Dan, I saw your uh, your beacon lighting up a little bit there. What do, what do you want to say about that, Dan, as a former track promoter? <laughs> I would love to see, you know, NASCAR was there decades ago, and I'd love to see them come back again, and uh, I'd love to see a big event there with the cup cars. But um, I think that what probably you're waiting on is probably the road system because to get the number of fans in, I think that – you and I both know, Bud, that anywhere around there, even for Petit Le Mans, it, it's a challenge a pain. getting through the traffic, and oh, yeah. and that's what you're going to encounter. And, and those, those are not it, – it's not that you've got a big city there, but you've got a lot of pretty good-sized towns that surround this area that would all be affected. And, and you really need a good road system that's going to connect yeah. – with four lane, you need to connect 85 and 985. Yeah, yeah so, so Highway uh, 53, the main drag in front of the track, is only a lane each way. And that that's yep. very, you know, when people like me are just trying to get there for the start of the main race at noon, we have a big camping since Wednesday or Thursday. That's a little bit of a struggle. I parked across the street at Lanier Raceplex, the former Lanier, Lanier Raceway, the big uh, drifting and go-kart track it is now owned by Jim Downing. And I, I parked over there and then walked across the street. Pretty much probably ended up walking close to a mile before I got to Will Call. But I was okay with that. I needed the steps. That doesn't work if you got two kids and you're hauling gear and all that kind of stuff. And there is a ton of parking there that is free, a lot of it, too. But just trying to sit in the traffic and get there for the start. I mean, at least they have a whole event, bud, where you could stagger the entry. But when it comes to the Zenith, about 11 a.m. on Saturday before the start of Petit Le Mans, that is tough. I'd like to see it more accessible from 211 on the south side. 211 is a bigger highway. But to me, it didn't seem like that. there was an easy way to do that. No, it all comes down to 53, even if you're coming up to 11. You know, you wind yeah. up on 53, and it's a two-lane highway. And it's, uh, I don't know. Uh how they can address that. They're close to 85, obviously, but you still got to get off yeah. and you're on 53. So you're stuck. I've, I've, yeah. I've seen the Shut plans up. for that, and there are plans to four-lane 53, but uh, maybe in this new money that's coming through for infrastructure, that that'll be in the works very, very soon, and, and we can see that addressed. But as of right now, that's been on the books. I saw it about 10 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, it's certainly needed even without Petit Le Mans being there for sure. That's just, you got to have yeah. more places to move these trucks. That's all. By the way, the WSB Traffic Podcast is on WSBRadio.com as well on our traffic page. If you want to check that out, Smiling Mark McKay and I chop it up a little bit about traffic on that about once a month or so. All right. So now great talk about Petit Le Mans again. Congrats to Rick Humphrey, the whole staff at uh, Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta, I should call it, for Motul Petit Le Mans, so they can get that sponsor in there. And we're glad to have them on. Glad they were a client and a partner with our stations here at Cox Media Group Atlanta Radio, particularly 95.5 WSB. All right, so uh, before we get to NASCAR, and make it all hold on for some of the NASCAR news, I want to talk about NHRA. Dan, you've got some things to discuss, but you kind of have a more 30,000-foot view item to discuss in NHRA. So, Dan, what's the latest in the National Hot Rod Association? Well, did anybody watch the drag races at Pomona this last weekend? See, the That's why I'm relying on divided. you. 
Well, that that was a pretty good event. I really did enjoy it, and we saw Steve uh, Steve Steve Torrance won in the top fuel and the funny car. It was Ron Caps, and that was a nail biter because yeah. it came down to a a last run final there that decided he would be the champion again. And um, then you saw Greg Anderson. I think Greg Anderson got his fifth title over Erica Enders and uh and and that was a great race for their race that they had Erica against Greg but uh Erica had a little bit of wheel shake in her car and lost a little bit of time there off the line but uh Greg just motored on away and and won his championship and uh then we saw Matt Smith win the uh motorcycle event so it was a great, it was a great weekend. Finished up the drag racing, and um, really thought that John Force would be a little bit more uh, of a competitor. They'd be closer to the to the championship, but yeah, uh, I know he said he'd be back next year, and Brittany as well. So looking forward to next year and seeing what it has to offer. But um, it, it was an exciting year, even for drag racing. Uh, it was for sure. That's cool to see Ron Katz win another championship there in that very familiar uh, Napa Top Fuel dragster. So uh, b- before we get to your thoughts, but I want to say John Forrest's early 70s still being talked about as a championship contender. I think that's unbelievable. Uh, and, and 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 the fact that he was able to pass that on generationally, and, and both of his daughters, or two of his daughters, have been really good at it. Courtney stepping away a couple of years ago, but with Brittany still involved. All right, so Bud. You had. We know that Tony Stewart is entering drag racing, and he's engaged to Leah Pruitt, who's one one of the stars in that sport. Um, what's go? What's afoot? And, and what do you think is going on? There's a, there's an element with Don Schumacher racing, and 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 some things aligning here. So, what are some of your thoughts about Tony Stewart and the changes of Don Schumacher? Then, well, he just he just released who his uh, crew chiefs are going to be for next year, and uh, Tony Stewart did. Tony Stewart did. Uh, Dickie Venables okay. will continue as a crew chief and uh, uh, for the funny car and Strasburg, um, Neil Strasburg will uh, is also from Don Schumacher racing. They've got 25 years between them. So they're bringing, they're bringing themselves plus their crews with them. So they don't have to start from, you know, the, a clean sheet of paper. They're going to have a clean sheet of paper as far as the race team goes but the personnel will already be in hand that could do the job. And Tony Stewart was the one that, that actually named uh, Joe Gibbs as being the person who influenced him to look at people as much as you look at, you know, the cars themselves. People make the make the speed is, is what, uh, you know, a loose quote from Tony. Um, he said, you get good people and you get good results. And he's definitely going to have good people. Uh, and it looks to me like he's essentially bought two of Don Schumacher's cars and teams that go with it. So I don't know whether Don Schumacher is wanting to downsize or I don't know whether Tony is wanting to get off the road, um, you know, the less events than he attends now. But I don't see that either because he's such a racer. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, didn't you tell me that Tony's got four charters? NASCAR charters. Well, yeah, Stuart Haas Racing has four established teams. By the way, news did come out this past week that that Smithfield and Eric Almarola are returning to the 10 car. That had been a little bit up in the air mm-hmm. for the last several months. So, I mean, they're, they're going to continue on. 
as they are. Um, but it, it does make you wonder when Stewart's a co-stakeholder in superstar racing experience, and he owns two racing series and several racing tracks, and now he got the dra- like how how in the world can all that be managed and all of it have the Tony Stewart touch? I guess right. That's that's the biggest question, and it, it makes you have to ask the question. Yeah, how is how involved is Stewart actually in his race team, right? I mean, or his NASCAR team? Has he lost interest there, or are we making too much of it, right? And I don't know that we know the answer to that. Well, no, I I, I couldn't even speculate on that, but uh, you know, he has definitely got people in place to take care of this NHRA, these NHRA teams. You know, I right. he'll be he'll be hands on to the point of you know, I think having having the right people in the right places. Differently, oh, for sure. When, you know, he was in, you know, in NASCAR. Whether he's cutting back or not, who knows? Yeah, that, that's a great point. Yeah, well, I th- he definitely will be back in that NASCAR. I just, you know, I, I think he's got people in place to run that too. And it's interesting. Gene Haas has got the whole F1 team and seems very plugged in there. Tony Stewart is plugged in in so many things besides NASCAR itself. And it's like, who? Well, who's running the NASCAR team? Well, Joe Custer. <laughs> Joe Custer, whose son Cole, by the way, just happens to run that number 41 Cup Series entry. I mean, that's 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 the main person you look to there. But you just wonder with the different changes going on in the in NASCAR, how long if there's anything else afoot, including talk of new manufacturers. So let me use that, guys, to seek into the next thing here. Just a couple of things. I'm not asking for analysis and, and deep dives and all of it because we've already more than fulfilled our five to go, five topics deep dive this week. But uh, Dodge has has been publicly said by uh, officials on the executive side in NASCAR to be a front runner, so to speak, as far as a new manufacturer to join. So out with the old and with the new with, that is actually old, right? <laughs> Dodge is considering a run there. Uh, Riley Herbst, speaking of Stuart Haas Racing, is returning with Monster Energy to the number 98 Xfinity Series team. The, those deals, a lot of times in those series, are year-to-year and very much sponsorship-based, and Riley Herbst brings that to the table. So he will continue on, and he his statistics regressed after his year with Joe Gibbs Racing. Now, on the Cup Series side, Matt McCall announced as Matt McCall announced as the crew chief and his crew for Brad Keselowski and the number six team for what is now called Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing. They announced that name change earlier on Tuesday, the day that we record today. That's uh, that, that's Keselowski. And then also, so Matt McCall, who's with Kurt Busch's number one Ganassi team, and is going to bring a lot of that crew over and essentially rebuild and restart a number number sixteen, a new number sixteen, which by the way means other crew members and such are displaced. Brad Keselowski, on his first day of work at what is now RFK Racing a, a week ago, said that while other teams are downsizing, Bud, this will speak to you. He expects Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing to actually add members to their team. And I think that is interesting. And I wonder what other industries or teams are involved in when they're not expanding their number of race teams, when they're supposedly getting rid of certain departments to build spec race cars. What are they expanding? Uh, does he mean people or money or what? I, I, find, I find that very interesting. Also, on the crew chief side, speaking of crew chiefs and Kurt Busch, Here's one that I was not expecting, but I might have actually called when I talked to somebody off the record about this. Billy Scott 
former crew chief for Kurt Busch in his early days at Stuart Haas Racing, will be Kurt Busch's crew chief next year for car number 45, which does have a charter reportedly coming from the Starcom Racing team that is shut down. Billy Scott will be the crew chief for Tony, uh, excuse me, for Kurt Busch next season, car number 45. Booty Barker, who replaced Mike Wheeler as Bubba Wallace's number 23 crew chief last season, has assumed that role full time. So that, that that is no longer an interim role there for the wheelchair bound, it may, which makes it even more exciting to see Booty Barker still turning wrenches there at this time. And then the last thing, guys, about the next gen car, I want to talk about another podcast or another. It's a radio show too, fast talk. Larry McReynolds, quote, America's crew chief was on with uh, Doug Rice and Brad Gilly for the performance racing network. And, uh, and, and he said some interesting things about the new car. Uh, Larry Reynolds said he spoke with some cup crew chiefs, Chris Gabehart from Denny Hamlin's number 11 team being one of them. And he said, okay, look, you got this race car that you guys aren't building from the ground up anymore. But I mean, how much adjustability is there in this race car? And the quote from Chris Gabehart, and I'm paraphrasing, he pretty much said, instead of having 150 things that you could change on the current cup car, we're thinking 50 to 75 things you still could adjust on. So there's still some adjustability. There will no longer be a track bar, though, but there will be wedge. That's just one thing. No track bar because of the, the rear suspension change, but there will be a wedge. Uh, and there will be other things that you can flex on with what will be now the flange-fit composite bodies instead of the steel bodies and carbon fiber from before. So just something there to bake in with that next-gen car as they prepare for some next-gen testing for two days this week at Charlotte Motor Speedway on the Oval. And the last thing I'll say, that Oval test is crucial, Bud and Dan, because they have dealt with heat issues in the cars when they raced them at Daytona. They have dealt with steering box issues when they've tested them on ovals before. How will those come together with less than 100 days before the Daytona 500? So, boys, any 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 thoughts about those stories or last thoughts before we take five to go to the garage here in episode 157? I'll go to you, Bud, first. Uh, I'll defer to Dan because he's been <laughs> he's been involved with the, uh, the the keeping up with the Gen 7 car, the new car. Obviously, the, the I'd love to platform. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to go through and and count with them the 150 things they can change now, <laughs> bud. Because um, that is yeah. a little bit overstated. But I honestly think that there will be more things to adjust with the independent rear, and they're going to find this out. Is which they already know anyway. That that there's going to be more adjustability to this car because. Instead of one front end, it's got two front ends now because you'll be able to adjust the caster camber on both ends. Uh, you can adjust the toe end on both ends. There, there are so many things that you just don't even conceive when you get into independent rear suspension. And now you you may or may not, depending on NASCAR, you you may have the ability to change ratios now instead of in uh, the rear end, which now the transmission and the rear end is together. Now you've got the, uh, the adjustability of five transmission ratios that you can change each one at a time. So you, you're going to, you're going to step out and, and then probably bud, probably your right and pinion steering sector. You're probably going to have probably five, six, seven different ratios of, of, uh, of racks that you can put under this thing that that you can adjust from track to track or even from event to event, whether it be qualifying or race, whatever, 
there's going to be a lot of things that you'll be able to adjust and the driver will probably be the only constant in the thing as as the day progresses. I, I bet, bud, that there, just to your point, Dan, I bet that there is going to be just as much, if not more money spent on engineers trying to figure out whatever little gray areas are left, how to exploit those or how to adjust these new items, like you just mentioned the list of, Dan. I, the money is still going to be spent. So here's the last thing I want to share from what Larry – and I want I encourage everybody, go find it in the podcast stores, wherever you find them, or goprn.com for Fast Talk. They, they, they interviewed Kim Kuhn from Motor Racing Network and then Larry McReynolds in the second half of the show. Go listen to all of it, but Larry said it in the second half. Yeah, it's this may even the field in some respects. It may even bring some new drivers that weren't successful in the old car or the current car, whatever you want to call it. But the teams with the money will still rise to the top. Dan Dan just like said, amen, hallelujah. Um, <laughs> the teams with the money will still rise to the top. You're not going to see suddenly Rick Ware racing contending for top tens every week. It's just not that's, that's just not what's going to happen. It still is going to take the, the teams that are the most efficient and fuel the best to do it. So I think, Bud, I know that you're, you're seeing a lot of attrition there, but I think it's, there's a lot of morphing going on. Oh, I think so. I think, you know, when I when I say people are losing their jobs, it's what, like Dan was saying, they're going to morph into something else. There's going to be there's going to be other components to this, not only the race car, but the racing itself in the series. And don't forget the truck series and the Xfinity series. A lot of these guys that are employed at these shops uh, work on two or all three of the teams and uh, yeah. or series on any given week. So they're they're going to disperse in different ways, and I, I think, like Dan said, some people will will grasp either, and they may become, uh, like Dan was saying, they may be rack and pinion experts, and uh, you know, produce the the components to make those changes, or the suspension people, because Dan's right, you're going to have you're going to have two front ends on this car, one in the front, one in the back, and you're going to do a lot of adjusting on it, and. Uh, you don't have to bend axle housings and stuff anymore. You can huh. you can do it, do it in different ways. So it'll, oh, it'll right. be interesting, interesting to see. Maybe a little more digital than analog. Is it? Yeah. Words, yeah. You know, just a little bit. To, I, I use that as a metaphor, not literal. Okay. Well, boys, thank you so much for joining today. I think we got our parting shots. And I know that was a big NASCAR news dump at the end, but I I thought it was intriguing that Billy Scott, who had gone from crew chief at Stuart Haas Racing to engineer Richard Childress Racing, is now back to crew chief again in the Toyota camp with the Jordan Hamlin team and, and with Kurt Busch, Billy Scott, and this is my parting shot. Billy Scott, I always thought was an underrated crew chief when he was at Michael Waltrip racing and working with David Reagan and Brian Vickers and Brett Moffitt. I always thought there was something to him and, and he worked with Mark Martin too, I believe he, they're, they're just, I thought there was something deep about him when I spoke with him. So, and I mean, you know, sometimes that those things don't pan out, but I, I was lured to him the same way I, I have been with Brad Keselowski as a driver. And I'd love to see him in a new opportunity and environment, uh, get, a, get a new chance to thrive there. So I'm happy for uh, Billy Scott getting that move. And that was just announced the day we're recording here on Tuesday, November the 16th. Uh, uh, looking ahead to next week, I think it's highly unlikely we'll do a show. I've got an extremely jam-packed week, and then there's Thanksgiving ahead of that. So if there's maybe some stuff you need to get up, caught up on. we got some great driver interviews in our past episodes. And I love the one that Dan and I did with Rick Humphrey from uh, Road Atlanta, Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta. That that was just a few episodes ago, so be sure to check it out. Looking forward to this offseason, I've got a bucket list of drivers and people I want to talk to. 
including, and he doesn't know, I haven't asked him yet, but including Ryan Sieg over at RSS Racing. They've got a new alliance with Stuart Haas Racing, and they put out a tweet on Monday of this week that said, anybody interested in crew chief, car chief, mechanic, email us at marketing at RSS Racing, right? They just, they just threw it out there. And I find that when when this team in this time of contraction, there there are teams that are looking to expand or or retool themselves. And RSS Racing, the independent Xfinity Series team, or I guess is it still independent? I don't know. But, but the smaller Xfinity Series team is looking to do that. Also, Josh Williams will not be back with DGM Racing, the um the Mario Gosselin owned team in the Xfinity Series. So we'll see where Josh lands up. He'd been in the number ninety two the last couple of years. So. Bud, happy Thanksgiving ahead of time to you, sir, and thanks for making some time. I mean, almost an hour and a half today you spent on with us. We thank you. Uh, you're quite welcome. And and with the uh, – you mentioned that uh, Tony Stewart deal. Uh, if you go to TRS – TSR Nitro at TonyStewart.com, you can also be part of that team for the inaugural race. So who knows? They're putting it out there. Happy okay, Thanksgiving uh, thank to you, you and Dan, listeners, and uh, – We'll see you on the radio. And for sure, and, and, and plug your show. I know you're going to be powered through the holidays, right? Bud's, yeah, Bud's Garage, uh, WDUN, AM 550, FM 102.9, and podcast on WDUN, uh, Informative Automotive Buffoonery. That's us. And that, that is exactly it. I love when I get to be on with you guys. And, Dan, I hope you have a good Thanksgiving. You, Lolly, Sheena, Dan Jr., and everybody. Hope you guys have a good time there, and I hope our business stays strong here through the holidays. I think it will, and the same to everyone else, and just happy and safe holidays. Uh, we'll definitely do that. Well, oh, as your nephew said, uh, 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 what is it? Merry off season and happy Christmas, right? Well, except we're not going anywhere. We may take a week off for Thanksgiving. We'll be back after Thanksgiving on the Five to Go Racing podcast to dive through. There'll be a ton of racing news, a lot of next-gen stuff to talk about, dramatic Formula One, a title outcome, only 14-point battle separating the championship as we record right now between Hamilton and Verstappen, Verstappen leading. And I just know there's going to be some big silly season stuff. There has to be coming down the pipe. And who knows what else. So uh, for Eric Von Hessler, who couldn't be with us today, for George Clark that joined us early to talk F1, and for Bud Hughes and Dan Elliott, of course, I'm Doug Turnbull. And thank you so much for listening to the 5 to Go Racing Podcast. God bless. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.